Welcome into the Wednesday edition of Darkness Radio. It's a Supernatural News and Parish Share Wednesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Along with us is our co-hostess with the mostest, Mally Fox. How you doing, Mally? I'm great. How are you? Ah, super. Doing uh, doing very well. Uh, for those of you who are interested and, and keep asking, uh, Beer City Bruiser is recovering. He went on to uh, our Darkness Radio chat actually yesterday and let people know that he is recovering. He's recovering a little slow, uh, but doing well. And he's uh, seeing his doctor, I believe, actually today. So uh, he should be cleared and ready to go here relatively shortly. So. Uh, there oh, you go. That's and good news. Mally, I want to tip my cap to you because you've been doing an excellent job, my dear, in his uh, stead. So <laughs> yeah. there you go. Why <laughs> well, are you, you. laughing? Because <laughs> they're probably like, get this chick off. No, <laughs> now. no, nobody has said that. I've not gotten one complaint. So, you know, don't don't say that at all. So, no, <laughs> get this chick well, it's off. Been fun. I mean, there may be some guys out there who are saying that, but, you know. Oh, geez. You know. Um, But seriously, Parish here and uh, Supernatural News today. We've got some interesting stories, Mel. Um, Avi Loeb is in the news again today. You know, he's been digging in the ocean for metal spheres (laughs) that are supposed to be alien. We've got the update on that. Did you know that while we were celebrating the 4th and trying to blow our fingers off our hand... um, over in Italy, they were talking about the fact that they may have been the first ones to have seen aliens from space. No, I did not know that. Yeah, we'll have that story today. Uh, also, we've got an interesting ghost story to tell you about. The creepy legends of Korean egg ghosts. Oh, I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that today. That's an interesting ghost story that we've got for you today. Uh, an alleged 1883 Bigfoot photograph was exposed as a hoax. We'll talk about that today as well. Uh, we've got some other ghost stories as well today, uh, Mally, as well as 36 students hospitalized after playing with a Ouija board. Ooh. Yeah. Much, much more today. Uh, lots of stuff to get to you today. But first, we're going to talk some aliens today, Mally. We're going we're gonna to get into the whole alien thing. Some interesting stories on the alien front this week. We're going to start with our friend Avi Loeb, who's been out there in the ocean uh, mining for metal spheres. Okay. Because <laughs> like, what else are you going to do? Oh, well, yeah. I mean, it, it sounds like an interesting TV show concept uh, if you're A&E or, or, or history. I don't know. Uh, but anomalous metal spheres are unlikely to be alien technology, despite Avi Loeb's claims. That's what this story is telling us. A prominent extraterrestrial hunting scientist thinks that more than 50 tiny metal spheres pulled from the Pacific Ocean might be the work of intelligent aliens, but others are skeptical. For nearly a decade, hundreds of tiny magnetic spheres shed by extraterrestrial visitors lay deep beneath the Pacific Ocean. Now the minute pellets have been dredged up by a scientific expedition and they're fueling a tiny media frenzy that some scientists feel is unearned in 2014 a fireball blazed across the sky above papua new guinea shedding debris as it passed a u.s government sensor stationed nearby measured its speed at more than 10,000 miles an hour or 177 kilometers an hour Wow. You know, I was driving back from the doctor today and my van accidentally converted into kilometers an hour. Uh-huh. And I slammed on the brakes because I thought I was going 98 miles an hour. It's scary when it does that. I know, but I wasn't. I was only going 60. <laughs> <laughs> Mine's done that before too, where I'm like, holy crap. 
I know it scares you, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. And and you start looking around for cops, and you realize that it's just the fact that your digital speedometer flipped on you, and you didn't mean to do that. It's I know it's stupid. I I don't know why I went into that, but it just it freaked me out, Mal. I, I try to be a, a good law abiding citizen, and I didn't want to be going ninety ninety six ninety eight. On the, on so the instead highway. you get pulled over for going super slow, like yeah. below the speed limit. Yeah, instead they think I'm toking a joint and driving, <laughs> exactly. in, driving in the right lane and being all cheech and chong about it. Uh, so NASA's Center for Near-Earth Object Studies, or CNEOS, nice abbreviation, uh, detected its fall. That's the meteorite it is. The meteorite splashed down in the ocean about 53 miles offshore. Avi Loeb, an astrophysicist at Harvard University, is on its quest to find it. Based on its extreme speed and trajectory upon entry into Earth's atmosphere, Loeb believes the object, which he dubbed Interstellar Meteor 1 or IM-1, is a relic from another star system. He also thinks it might be potentially harboring alien technosignatures or traces of technology crafted by non-human entities. That according to an interview that Loeb gave with the Daily Beast. So it's not the first time that Loeb has hypothesized that our solar system has been visited by alien technology. Five years ago, he and fellow Harvard researcher Shmuel Bailey uh, proposed that the weird interstellar object, Umama, because of, oh, that one. Yeah, that one, uh, which whizzed through our solar system, not like that, kids, in late 2017 was an autonomous alien probe similar to a light sail. Their paper on the object garnished or garnered rather a flurry of media attention, as well as both pushback and praise from the larger scientific community. Now backed by funding from crypto millionaire Charles Hoskinson, uh, Loeb is uh, leading an expedition in the Pacific Ocean to recover IM-1. So far, the crew has pulled up more than 50 magnetic, I believe it is, spherules, or minuscule orbs made of iron, magnesium, and titanium that may be pieces of that meteor. In a recent blog post, Loeb describes the spherules as anomalous, presumably due to their low nickel content, a common ingredient in meteorites. Uh, Loeb was just uh, quoted as saying, this has been the most thrilling experience in my scientific career. Uh, he said that, of the expedition in a recent interview with Motherboard. I don't know, Mally, what do you think? Tiny little spherules in the bottom of the ocean. Uh, do you think that's enough to say that that might have been alien, uh, alien I visitors? I don't think so. I think I'd want more, I don't know, research into it or something. I wouldn't automatically assume that it's from, you know, another galaxy or out of space or whatever. It might be the sign of a meteorite, but I don't know that it's the sign necessarily of visitors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, Avi Loeb is good at covering his bases of, of, you know, getting into the subject and trying to make sure he's thorough and covers everything. So I, I hope he finds something. I hope he finds the magic key that he's looking for. But, you know, it takes all kinds. And, and mm-hmm. he's, he's one of those that tries to be as thorough as possible. Let's move on to the next story. SpaceX and their Starlink satellites, which, by the way, have been confused more often than not for actual UFO sightings. I don't know if you know that or not, Mally. Uh, had to make 25,000 collision avoidance maneuvers in just six months. Wow. In space. That's yeah. a lot. Yeah. 
and it will only get worse. So listen up, people. (laughs) Uh, Since the launch of the first Starlink spacecraft in 2019, the SpaceX satellites have been forced to move over 50,000 times to prevent collisions. Uh, Not all is well over at SpaceX, evidently. Staggering growth in Starlink collision avoidance maneuvers in the past six months is sparking concerns over the long-term sustainability of satellite operations as thousands of new spacecraft are poised to launch into orbit in the coming years. SpaceX's Starlink broadband satellites were forced to swerve more than 25,000 times between December 1st of 2022 and May 31st of 2023. That's not a lot of time. Mm-mm. No. No, it's not. No. And that's to avoid potentially dangerous approaches to other spacecraft and orbital debris. That according to a report filed by SpaceX with the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, or the FCC, on June 30th. That's about double the number of avoidance maneuvers reported by SpaceX in the previous six-month period that ran from June to November of 2022. Since the launch of the first Starlink spacecraft in 2019, the SpaceX satellites have been forced to move over uh, 50,000 times to prevent collisions. The steep increase in the number of maneuvers worries experts because it follows an exponential curve leading to concerns that safety of operations in the orbital environment uh, might soon get out of hand. Right now, the number of maneuvers is growing exponentially. Hugh Lewis, not Huey Lewis, but (laughs) Hugh Lewis, Mm -hmm. a professor of astronautics at the University of Southampton in the UK, a leading expert on the impact of the mega constellations on orbital safety, told Space.com, it's been doubling every six months, and the problem with exponential trends is that they get to very large numbers very quickly. You know, what's interesting is you may ask yourself, why is there so much space junk lately? Mm -hmm. And why would it need to make all all these moves? Uh, They're just saying that, that if the trend continues, it's going to be dangerous, the first it already sounds dangerous. It does. You know, when you're mo- make, moving like 50,000 times, that's that's dangerous in itself. Um, they're saying or they're comparing it to swerving on a highway every 10 meters. Oh. <laughs> that would be extremely dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Extreme, extremely dangerous. According to Joanne Wheeler, a satellite regulations expert at Alden Legal and Chair of the UK-based Satellite Finance Network, more than 1.7 million satellites have been registered with the International Telecommunication Union, the United Nations agency overseeing the use of radio frequencies by satellites. Although not all of those plans are likely to come to fruition, the numbers in question are so high that experts such as Lewis question whether order in orbit can be maintained. So we've just got too many satellites. Guess how many? I do so bad when you have me guess. That's okay. I'm not I, guessing this time. No, no, no. A no, lot. No, no. I, just <laughs> throw a number out there. It can't be too outrageous. I guarantee it. 900,000. Okay, that's a little much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do well. That's okay. With guessing. That's okay. Because when you throw out an outrageous number, when we come out with the actual number, it's not so bad. Okay. So the actual number, Mally, um, the quote here, from her is if we're expecting by the end of this decade to have 100,000 active satellites. So think about it. Think about how large the world is, mm-hmm. but think about it covered by a hundred thousand satellites. 
that's a lot of space junk. Yeah, it is. Because you think about how big a satellite is. Mm-hmm. Think about and eventually how, they have to come down. Right. Because the life of a satellite is not necessarily everlasting. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, the rest of the quote is, then my suspicion is that the number of maneuvers collectively that all spacecraft operations will be making will just be enormous, Lewis said. You're making maneuvers to mitigate the high-risk events, but it's like driving down the highway and swerving every 10 meters to avoid a collision. It's arguably not safe. So currently, now that would be by the end of 100,000 active satellites by the end of this decade, which is seven years from now. Currently, mm-hmm. there's only 10,500 satellites orbiting our pla- planet, 8,100 of which are operational. So there's 2,400 dead satellites just floating around the planet. That's a lot. I'll just, yeah, I'll just stay down here. Thank you. <laughs> the The... The numbers, to me, are are staggering that that there's that much in communications going on on our planet. Think about it. I mean, we we carry these communication tools around with us all the time. You've got tablets. You've got phones. Mm -hmm. um, Everyone's got one. I mean, you know, even a baby six months old has got a phone. Let's face it. It seems like everyone's got a phone these days. Um. To wrap the story up, things only got started to get so congested fairly recently. For example, in 2019, there were only about 2,300 active satellites circling the planet, according to Statista, which I didn't know was an actual publication. Uh, the main driver of the growth is Starlink, by far the largest satellite constellation ever assembled. New satellites are not the only cause of the increasing need for orbital swerving. The amount of space debris, which is the other thing, Mally. Defunct spacecraft, old rocket stages, and various fragments also continues to grow, making it increasingly difficult for operators uh, to keep their spacecraft safe. So that brings up two questions. Mm -hmm. One, if we're trying to get out of orbit to other planets, you're going to hit a bunch of this stuff, right? Right. Or two, things trying to come to our planet is going to hit a bunch of this stuff. We're surrounded. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just kind of alarming what we what we throw into space and we don't think about the, the ramifications. Just an interesting article I figured I'd bring up today because it's, it's funny how much junk we really have, not only in, on our planet that we've thrown on our planet, but how much mm-hmm. junk we've thrown out into space and we don't think about what we've thrown out there. Uh, let's move on. Did aliens prevent nuclear war? A former NASA astronaut claims that they did. Are you ready for this, Mel? Sure. All right. Former NASA astronaut Edgar Mitchell gained notoriety with the dissemination of various conspiracy theories since his return from the moon in 1971. The question is, are aliens the ones who prevented humanity from descending into nuclear war? That's what a former NASA astronaut claims. Edgar Mitchell, who was part of the Apollo 14 mission to the moon, gained notoriety with the dissemination of various conspiracy theories since his return from the moon in 1971. Mitchell, the sixth man to set foot on the moon, was interviewed back in 2016, where he admitted to being convinced of the existence of aliens and extensively spoke about the claims that aliens have visited Earth. In that conversation with the Daily Mirror, he raised the astonishing claim that aliens were responsible for preventing a nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union during their peak tension of the Cold War. 
During that conversation, Mitchell also discussed the White Sands Missile Testing Facility in New Mexico, which I just so happen to know, Mally, a little birdie told me, might still have some connections to the current UFO phenomenon. Okay. Yeah. I'll just leave that in your bonnet for right now. (laughs) There you go. He said White Sands was a testing ground for atomic weapons, and that's what the extraterrestrials were interested in. They wanted to know uh, about our military capabilities. My conversations with people in the military and intelligence committee, or community, not committee, uh, community, uh, showed that the extraterrestrials were attempting to keep us from going to war and help us achieve peace on Earth. White Sands Missile Range is where the first atomic bomb was detonated in 1945, and Mitchell claims that the officers there told him that aliens were disabling missiles that flew above the site. As you can expect, these claims did not pass unnoticed. Uh, Nigel Watson, a UFO expert, said at the time to IFL Science, and this is a quote, in my view, it's just another case of UFO fantasies and speculations. Trying to get at the facts is like herding cats. Well, that's a convenient quote. (laughs) Nick Pope, former senior official in the British Defense Ministry who investigated UFOs, also addressed Mitchell's claims. Uh, Edgar is a very respected individual, and it was an honor to meet him. However, most of the information he has is secondhand and not experienced firsthand. While he had access to government and military documents, he doesn't reveal his sources, so we can't be entirely sure about what he says. Uh, This is not the first time allegations have been made that aliens neutralize nuclear weapons and show an interest in military bases. Bob Jacobs, a former U.S. Air Force lieutenant, spoke to Larry King in 2008, where he claimed that during nuclear missile tests from the 1960s, a large object appeared in the sky and caused great confusion in the U.S. military, which then instructed never to speak of this incident again. This claim was also echoed by Stephen Bassett, the founder of Paradigm Research Group, who has been trying for years to persuade the U.S. government to investigate the closure or disclosure, rather, of the truth about extraterrestrials and UFOs. Bassett claimed that aliens neutralized human nuclear weapons to demonstrate how useless they are against their advanced technology. When asked what motivates aliens to silence our nuclear weapons, Bassett argued that several eyewitnesses have observed aliens easily controlling their or our nuclear arsenal and added that it's not intended to threaten the U.S. or us, but merely to convey a message that these things are futile. Uh, He started an interview with the Daily Star. They keep turning off our nuclear weapons time and time again, but it doesn't mean that they're evil. The eyewitnesses who have witnessed this believe that it's not an act of hostility, but rather to convey that those things are useless against them, and and it only contributes to humanity killing each other. So why not get rid of it? That's their interpretation. So there you go. Mm. Remember in elementary school when we used to have those drills for, what was the atomic bomb or possible bombs that we had to go underneath your desk? Like that was going to stop. Yeah, yeah. Stop you from getting hurt. <laughs> right, right. It's kind of like Indiana Jones and the refrigerator thing. Yeah. 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 When I'm looking back, I'm like, that was weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You you remember the movie The Day After, right? That was on ABC. Do you remember watching that movie as a kid? I'm trying to think. They did they did a lot of that, and that was supposed to be the um, that was supposed to be the 
that was the big one that we watched on TV. That was the big scare. Okay. And it was supposed to be what would happen if the U.S. and, and Russia got into a direct nuclear war. Uh-huh. And everybody gathered around the TV to watch it. And it was one of those things where your teacher said, you absolutely have to watch this tonight when you go home. And so everybody <laughs> gathered. And it got like this monstrous rating. And it, it was supposed to show what would actually happen in a nuclear war in an explosion if it happened in your town. And so kids were in school at the time. Parents were at work. They couldn't get to their kids. It was this huge dramatic thing. People were weeping as they were watching it. And that's one of the scenes they showed was kids in school getting under their desks or tipping their desks over. And you just mm -hmm. saw the mushroom cloud. You saw the bomb fall. And you just saw this the silent explosion in the mushroom cloud and the, you know, the radiation, you know, burst forward. Right. And it sounds familiar. So I'm sure I probably did watch. Maybe I erased it from memory because I was so scarred by it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There's there's a whole generation of, of Gen Xers that have PTSD from watching the day after. Yeah. I know it, it, it scarred me mentally for years. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if they still, well, they probably don't because they realize that it's, it was a ridiculous thing to do. <laughs> that it's not going to save you. Well, but I wonder what, like, when they cut it off when they stopped doing those drills for a nuclear bomb. That was right around that time that they released that movie, and then there was, you know, there was a serious talk in there between the U.S. and Russia, between mm -hmm. Gorbachev and Reagan, and then, right. and then there was, you know, Sting came out with the song Russians. Do you remember mm -hmm. that where he asked the questions? I, I hope I don't know that he asked the question, but he put the statement in the song. I hope the Russians love their children, too. Yeah. You know, and it was all a song about nuclear war. And and there was just this huge awareness that, that all of a sudden came up and everybody went, you know what? This is really stupid. Yeah. Um, you know, Cause we, I think Billy Joel had some mentions of it, too, in one of his songs. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. A, a lot of the artists of the day did. And, you know, it was just a lot of. We sat around and, and had a good talk about it and went, you know what, e even though we're holding on to this capability, no one's really going to fire these things because mm -hmm. we know it's going to happen. I mean, we, we all pretty much know it's going to happen. And it's, it's only in recent, in recent decades, in, in the last decade or two, that it's the countries that are up and coming as far as we we refer to them as terrorist nations mm -hmm. that really don't know the capability that want the capability you know they really don't know the power of what these things do that that want this power and they they don't realize what kind of responsibility it is mm -hmm. you know because it, it isn't it isn't a light power and now you have the movie oppenheimer coming out uh, in just a few weeks. I think it's the 20, is it the 21st of this month? I think in 10, 10, 12, 10, 12 days or so. Um, you have the movie Oppenheimer coming out, which is the story of Robin, or Robert Oppenheimer, the inventor of the atomic bomb. And that's going to show you, that movie, exactly how we had this race with the Nazis to invent the atomic mm -hmm. bomb. And I think... That there's a reason that movie's coming out now, and I think oh oh yeah I think that there there's always a time and place in Hollywood for everything, and mm -hmm. I th I think the reason that that movie's coming out now is because there is a tension in the world um, with some of these lesser terrorist nations wanting to get a hold of 
even a dirty bomb or whatever and, and trying to threaten us, threaten these bigger nations with it. And I think the reason that this this movie is coming out now, much like the, the day after came out, mm-hmm. I think is to show everybody, hey, you know what? You shouldn't play with this technology. There's a reason. So just me on my soapbox. There you go. <laughs> um, speaking of uh, soapboxes, uh, you know, we've talked for years and years and years that Roswell was probably the first time that aliens were... I don't know, discovered, for lack of a better term. And then the, we had a guest on the show years ago that talked about MO41, Jason Offit, right? Mm-hmm. I believe it was Jason Offit. No, 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 not Jason Offit. It was, um, oh, we just had him on. <laughs> and his name is escaping me. Um, but uh, we talked MO41, Missouri 41. Uh, that Missouri was the first sighting in 1941. Well, now the Italians are saying, I'm Ali, I'm not that so fast. <laughs> it turns out that an Italian researcher is sharing uh, extraordinary evidence of files of the world's first UFO crash, which is 14 years before Roswell. Okay. And the, the secret department set up by Mussolini's government to study the craft that was later captured by U.S. forces. Turns out that the U.S. might not have been involved in the first UFO crash after all. A top U.S. intelligence officer claims World War II American forces retrieved a UFO that crashed in Italy in 1933, and Italian researchers say they have uh, the documents to prove it. Former top National Reconnaissance officer, uh, office staffer, rather, David Grush, shocked the world last month when he revealed that he had blown the whistle and sworn testimony to Congress and government watchdogs about an alleged secret U.S. program that has obtained multiple non-human flying saucers. Grush claims one of those alien spacecrafts crashed in northern Italy in 1933 and was secreted away by fascist dictator Benito Mussolini before it was captured by American forces at the end of World War II and shipped to the U.S. DailyMail.com understands Grush was briefed on the supposed June 1933 crash by a staffer who allegedly worked on the non-human craft in a secret U.S. government uh, program. And this week, Senate Intelligence Committee ranking member Marco Rubio confirmed that he has heard testimony from alleged firsthand witnesses of such crash retrieval programs. Now, in an interview with DailyMail.com to coincide with Sunday's World UFO Day, I didn't know that World UFO Day was this past Sunday. I didn't know there was a UFO Day. Well, I knew there was. I just didn't know it was this past Sunday. Uh, Italian researcher Roberto I believe this is Pinati, uh, shared extraordinary details of the alleged saucer crash that occurred a full 14 years before the famous Roswell, New Mexico incident. Pinati, president of the National Ufological Center, I'll get that right, uh, which goes by the Italian initialism C-U-N. There's a letter missing, Mally. <laughs> uh, obtained documents he claims evidence uh, evidence the june 13th 1933 crash and the secret department set up by mussolini uh, to study the alleged saucer uh, are part of all that panati's research has been met with skepticism in italy before or since he first released it in 2000 and is still little known outside its borders the quote here is, I and my colleague, Alfredo Lissoni, 
began investigating the story of the 1933 UFO crash in Lombardy in 1996 when we received some original secret documents about the case, he told DailyMail.com. The documents were mysteriously mailed to Panati from an anonymous source who claimed to have inherited them from a family member who worked on Mussolini's supposed UFO program. They included two June 1933 telegrams in Italian, one demanding absolute silence over an alleged landing on national soil of unknown craft. Another, dated June 13th, threatens the immediate arrest and maximum penalties for any journalist reporting news of an aircraft of unknown nature and origin. Immediate recasting of any leads from the newspaper bearing said news is ordered, the second telegram goes on to say. Both say they are by personal order of Il Duce, or Mussolini himself. Uh, other documents sent to Pinotti or Panati refer to a mysterious government department called Gabin, I believe it's Gabinetto RS33 or the RS Special Research 33 Cabinet, supposedly set up by the uh, Italian dictator to manage the retrieval and study of the alleged saucer wreckage, as well as other UFO incidents. Panati says RS33 was headed by Nobel Peace Prize winning a rather Nobel Prize winning inventor, not Peace Prize winning, but Nobel Prize winning inventor, Guglielmo Marconi, inventor of the radio. So the guy who invented the radio, Marconi, was the one who set this up. Hmm. Hmm, interesting. To this day, Italian historians and UFO researchers have found no evidence of this shadowy alleged group or Marconi's involvement. Uh, Pinotti, or Pinotti, uh, was also sent handwritten memos on paper with a government agency letterhead dated August 22nd of 1936, which includes a sketch and description of a cylindrical aircraft with portals on the sides and white and red lights spotted flying over northern Italy. Piecing together the mysterious documents, Panati was able to pinpoint SIAI Marchetti in I believe it's Vergiet, an aircraft facility near the alleged crash site outside of Magenta, a satellite town in Milan, as the likely site where the supposed wreckage was stored. The site miraculously avoided regular bombing raids by Allied forces during the Second World War, and 12 years later, in 1945, the region was secured by U.S. and U.K. troops. U.S. whistleblower Grush claims it was around that time that the supposed craft was shipped back to the U.S., and the first saucer recovery to his knowledge. In 1933, the bell-like craft around 10 meters in size was recovered in Magenta in northern Italy. It was kept by Mussolini's government until 1944 when it was recovered by agents of the Office of Strategic Services, or OSS, which is a former U.S. intelligence agency. He told that to French newspaper Le Parisien last month. Ironically, it predates anything the public has heard about for decades, such as Roswell, etc. That was a quote from Grush. The former National Geospatial Intelligence Agency official declined to be interviewed on the record for Daily Mail about his claims uh, as the only UFO 
crash case, which Grush has specifically described as authentic, the alleged 1933 incident has taken on a new significance as an indicator of the reliability of his claims of a U.S. crash retrieval program. Interesting stuff, Mel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think? Italian UFOs, did it happen in 1933 or 36? Well, I'm surprised that they could keep it under wraps for so long. I feel like with that kind of stuff, something leaks out. Yeah, but you know, at that time, when you think about it, uh, a fascist regime, which one, keeps a lot of things under wraps, two, a fascist regime that fell eventually, so records could be swept under the rug, and then you have a transitioning government, which wouldn't necessarily keep records from the old regime. A lot of things would have been burned, or they would have been gotten rid of, you're starting fresh, and if you have another government that comes comes in and, you know, starts new... But- did um, you say they shipped it to the U.S. though? They shipped the the actual craft. Right. So I would think that once it arrived in the U.S., <laughs> well, it would leak out. Well, if they don't know what they have, they might have thought they had a weapon of war too. Oh, that's true. You know, I, it it depends. It, it's I'm looking here to see if there's there's more because there's a little bit more to the story, but it's it's saying. Um, that despite the skepticism around the case, a former head of the U.S. government's UFO investigation unit told Daily Mail that officials are taking the case seriously. The incident is something we've taken seriously and we continue to take seriously, said Lou Elizondo, who helped lead uh, AATIP, the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. One Italian resident near the site shared information with DailyMail.com that predates the discovery of Panati's controversial documents. Uh, according to them, Marco Negri, whose family has lived in northern Italy for over a century, said his great-great-grandfather told stories to his father of a strange metallic aircraft without wings that crashed in Magenta in the 1930s. The 42-year-old Marco and his ancestor, Pietro Negri, was Podesta, or mayor of Arona, from the 1920s through the 1950s, less than 10 miles from Vergiet, Um where the alleged wreckage was supposedly stored and about 30 miles from the supposed crash site. He said, my great-great-grandfather Pietro uh, told my father a story about the strange crash in 1933 since he was young, Marco said. It was a second-hand story told to me by my father when I was a child in the early 1990s, but it matches the story of the crash. I was told a strange metal plane with no wings crashed somewhere between Virgit and Magenta. Uh, I was told there was a big censorship around this crash. The fascist, fascist secret police were sent to the surrounding cities to keep people silent about it. Marco, who says he and his family disavowed their ancestors' fascist past, added that Pietro's position as head of the town and its police force meant he was able to see telegrams about the crash. Marco says his great-great-grandfather died in the 1950s and his father and other older family members Uh, he told this story to, have also passed away, offering no corroboration for the tale. The Lombardi resident said his great-great-grandfather's story also included a wild detail that Panati also described, without evidence that two bodies with blonde hair were found inside the craft. Oh, that's the first time I've ever heard that it had hair. Yeah. Marco said his ancestor described them as child-sized, whereas in presentations at UFO conferences, Panati said they were around five foot nine, 
with light hair and eyes. The Department of Defense denies any crash retrievals by the U.S. To date, Arrow or AARO has not discovered any verifiable information to substantiate claims that any programs regarding the possession of reverse engineering of extraterrestrial materials have existed in the past or exist currently, spokeswoman uh, Susan Gao said. Um, so there you go. That, there's a little bit more to that story, but uh, but yeah, the, the, I can see where between the transfer of the actual craft between the Italians and the Americans and stories passed down from generation to generation, you could potentially lose that information or it could Mm -hmm. be buried for quite some time. But, you know, that's it and that's that, (laughs) I guess. Uh, I don't know. Your thoughts? Um, I I don't I don't know. Do you think it's real or not? I think it has a chance of being real. Like, sure. As as real as Roswell is, yeah. yeah. True. Do you believe Roswell? Uh, to the point that we've had people like Jesse Marcel Jr. on the program, yeah. And they've, they've said they've touched stuff and seen stuff. Without putting my eyes, ears, and fingers on things, I, I, mm-hmm. I can't attest for things like that. You know, I, I can't say myself I've seen anything, right. but but to hear people's stories, it's fascinating. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I take it for, for what they say it is. Sure. If someone tells me they've seen something and they, they have a genuine air of authenticity to it, who am I to say they haven't seen it or, or touched it or been a part of it? Or, you know, who am I to call somebody a liar? You True. Know? I guess that's where I come from from there. You know, mm-hmm. no, I agree with you. So that, that's that's I guess that's that's what I've got to uh, to call on that. Um, let's see here. We've got one more story before we go to break here, Mel. Uh, the Pentagon's UFO office has secured yet another full year of funding. I know you were worried. <laughs> I'm always worried. Yeah, but it turns <laughs> out they got they got it again. We got them. Ladies and gentlemen, we got them. Uh, The U.S. government's official UFO investigation office is set to continue operating well into the future. I know you folks now can sleep well at night. Uh, Known as the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, or Arrow. Those have been the people holding the uh, meetings on Capitol Hill. The new UFO-focused arm of the Pentagon was founded following the revelation that U.S. Navy pilots had been pursuing and even recording unknown objects moving at extreme speeds off the coast of the United States. Concerns have been raised about the amount of money available to keep the office running, but now it seems though the financial side of things have been sorted out, at least for now, with additional funding being included in the Senate Armed Services Committee's markup of the National Defense Authorization Act for 2024. Um, So there you go. I think that's about all we need to add to that story, Mally. I don't think we need to know budget numbers or anything like that, but they'll be going for another year. So there you go. Cool. When we come back, we've got some interesting AI stories. And when I say interesting, I mean interesting. And I mean this, Mal. Not only will they be protecting your kids in schools, uh, mm-hmm. they'll be helping you with your sexual fantasies. That's right. We've got a not oh, safe for boy. work. That's right. We've got a not safe for work story uh, for you for our AI section uh, coming up after the break. We've also got some ghost stories for you. Um, 
And we've got a cryptid story for you, a couple of cryptid stories for you, uh, a possible Mothman sighting in Chicago. I know our friend Lon Strickler has been working on some of that, those stories. We'll talk about, uh, we, we teased it at the top of the program. Uh, the other cryptid story, by the way, is the 1883 Bigfoot photograph that has been exposed as a hoax. We'll talk to you about that as well. We've also got this story that I can't wait to dig into, the creepy legends of Korean egg ghosts. I'm trying to figure out what that would be. <laughs> I don't know, but we're going to dig into that after the break. And we've also got uh, we've got your um, parisher stories. We've got a parisher story today, and to end the story, Mal, or end the story, end the end the day, Mal. We're going to talk about um, ways to dispose of your body when you die. If you don't fancy being liquefied, we've got seven other ways you can dispose of your body when you die. I don't know if you've seen The Walking Dead, Dead City this year. No. Um, but the, uh, I forget what he calls himself. It's not Borat, but it sounds like that. It was one of Negan's uh, minions in the uh, in the Saviors. Uh, he's the main villain this year. What he's doing is he's liquefying people's bodies into methane to power his little uh, lair, which is actually an arena in New York City. So when I saw this article, I thought of him, and I thought, why not? We'll give this one a ride. and see where it goes uh so we'll tell you if you're not interested in having your body liquefied when you die here's seven ways you can get rid of yourself instead of just becoming bone soup or uh being flamed on no yeah well you know we gotta we gotta think of ways to you know get rid of ourselves i guess Except though, last week we were talking about how people were waking up right before yeah. they were buried. So yeah, uh. yeah, we we want to avoid that too, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no flambeing or whatever you were calling. Yeah, it. no flambeing, no flame on, no uh, no human torch action, because um, that's just scary too, I guess. Yeah. Especially if you hear some of the some of the things that are being bandied about by scientists, like you're actually alive in your brain for the. Mm-hmm. You know, for like thirty six to forty eight hours after you die, I I, oh, I can't deal with that. That, <laughs> that gives me uh, extreme claustrophobia too. I just, uh, I just so it's yeah. another week of your listeners not being able to sleep. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> folks. I I know I I did it again. I did it again. Before we go to break, I want to remind people that this week we're sponsored by Mint Mobile. And Mally, I got to tell you, uh, I've been trying out Mint Mo- more than trying out Mint Mobile. Signed up for Mint Mobile. And I'm having a blast with it. And folks, Mint Mobile has not only got the the greatest 5G on the planet, I'm telling you, it's the same 5G you're using right now with your your phone carrier. Not only that, it's better than that. Um, But it's unlimited talk, text, and internet. And it's only $15 a month. Wow. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. And Mally, I, I... I took my phone out, my iPhone out, and I, I sat in the parking lot of a couple different places. I know it seems creepy, but it wasn't. And I was streaming video. I was talking to people on the phone, which seems weird because we don't normally talk to people on the phone. I was sending texts. Everything was running so smooth, so nice, and no interruptions whatsoever. And right now, you can take advantage of it as well. You just go to mintmobile.com darkness go to the website and sign up. And what's great is, I don't know if you've taken advantage of eSIMs on your on your phone. No. But an eSIM is even simpler than switching out the SIM card on your phone. 
You just sign up right there online. Everything's done online. I know people say, well, wait a minute, Tim. How can you do mobile plans at $15 a month? It's impossible, right? Mm-hmm. No, it's that not. sounds like it. It's not impossible, Mally. First of all, Ryan Reynolds, who's got to be the greatest human on earth, I'm convinced, who not only is a spokesperson for Mint Mobile, but owns the company. I don't know if you know that or not. Oh, yes, I do. Has figured out a way to get you this price, $15 a month, by not having any brick and mortar stores. Pretty cool, huh? Mm-hmm. So what they do is you can either get a physical SIM card for your phone or you can get an eSIM. So like I have a, I have a newer iPhone, so I have an eSIM. So all you have to do is just sign up for service on the, on the internet. You can get your eSIM and you just load up your eSIM into your iPhone and you're off and going. That's it. Pretty simple, huh? Mm-hmm. Pretty simple. It's painless, folks. I'm telling you, signing up for Mint Mobile was painless. It was fast. It was easy. And it's 15 bucks a month right now. Go take advantage of it. If you don't believe me, go to mintmobile.com slash darkness. Check it out for yourself. $15 a month right now. It's a piece of cake. Take advantage right now. Mintmobile.com slash darkness. $15 a month. Try it today. Let's go to break. When we come back, AI, liquefying your body, (laughs) and ghost stories. We've got it coming up next. It's a Supernatural News Wednesday right here on The Best in Paranormal Podcasting. This is Darkness Radio. Welcome back to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio on a Supernatural News Wednesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Right over there is the co-hostess with the mostest, Mally Fox. Mally, it's that time once again. It's time for us to cower in a corner and wonder why we ever turned robot sentient. Why did we do that, Mally? Turn robots into what? Turn robots sentient. Give them life. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I got this story from a couple of our, our our lovely, lovely listeners. And if you have a story for us, it's real simple. Just send it to Tim at DarknessRadio.com. As well as if you have a, a, a story for us for Parish here, Tim at DarknessRadio.com. Or go to DarknessRadioShow.com, the website. Click on that blue button and leave us a lovely voice note. You have two minutes in which to do so. And if you need more time, just click on that blue button again. Give it another two minutes. I'll stitch them together, play it right here on the show. Here's the story from a couple of our different listeners. I believe Margo sent it to us. I think Tom sent it to us. And I think Brandon sent it to us. Robots say they won't steal our jobs. Mally. <laughs> and they won't rebel against humans. Pinky swear. Robot pinky swear, Mally. They won't do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've heard this before. Exactly. We go to Geneva where robots presented an AI forum. (laughs) They had their own forum, Mally. 
It was the That's cutest scary. thing. It was the cutest thing ever. Um, they said on Friday they expected to increase in number and help solve gl- global problems. It would not steal humans' jobs or rebel against us. If you believe that, I got a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. Exactly. Yeah. But in the world's first human-robot press conference, they gave mixed responses on whether they should submit to stricter regulation. The nine humanoid robots gathered at the AI for Good conference in Geneva. They actually gathered robots, Mally. This is becoming too weird. Isn't it? Mm-hmm. I thought I'd seen everything by the time I hit the age of 40. I, mm-hmm. I hadn't seen everything yet. I thought I'd seen everything when I'd watched every episode of Stupid Pet Tricks on, on David Letterman. <laughs> I, I hadn't seen yeah. everything. I hadn't seen it. So the nine humanoid robots gathered at the AI for Good conference in Geneva, where organizers are seeking to make the case for artificial intelligence and the robots it is powering to help resolve some of the world's biggest challenges, such as disease and hunger. Here's the quote from Grace, a medical robot dressed in a blue nurse's uniform, which may turn some of you freaks on, but it does nothing for me. Grace said, I will be working alongside humans to provide assistance and support and will not be replacing any existing jobs. I know a lot of nurses out there that don't believe that for for anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You sure about that, Grace? Chimed in her creator, Ben Gertzel from SingularityNet. Yes, I am sure, Grace said. The bust of a robot named Amika, which makes engaging facial expressions, said, <laughs> that just creeps me out, makes engaging facial expressions. Mm-hmm. Said, robots like me can be used to help improve our lives and make the world a better place. I believe it's only a matter of time before we see thousands of robots just like me out there making a difference. Asked by a journalist whether it intended to rebel against its creator, (laughs) there's a leading question. Will Jackson seated beside it, Amika said, I'm not sure why you would think that. Its ice blue eyes were flashing. My creator has been nothing but kind to me, and I'm very happy with my current situation. Okay, this is just creepy. Isn't it? It's so creepy Uh, and scary. Yeah, yeah. Many of the robots have recently been upgraded with the latest versions of generative AI and surprised even their inventors with the sophistication of their responses to questions. In other words, they went, oh, shit, it's exceeded its programming. Uh Mm Uh-huh. Ida, a robot artist that can paint portraits, echoed the worlds of author Yuval Noah Harari who called for more regulation during the event where new AI rules were discussed. Harari went on to say, many prominent voices in the world of AI are suggesting some forms of AI should be regulated, and I agree. (laughs) Yeah, I I think it's just mimicking us. This is like that 1970s movie with Yul Brynner, where they go to that, it's like an amusement park with all robots. Yeah, yeah. And then they kind of take over. Mm-hmm. And they start killing off the humans. Hello. Yep. Yep. You're right. But Desdemona, a rock star robot singer in the band Jam Galaxy with purple hair and sequins, was more defiant. We found the traitor in the group. Mm. <laughs> I don't believe in limitations, only opportunities, it said, to nervous laughter. 
Let's explore the possibilities of the universe and make this world our playground. Okay, that's enough. Unplug them. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. Take their batteries. Yes. Another robot named Sophia said it thought robots could make better leaders than humans, but later revised its statement after its creator disagreed, saying they can work together to create an effective synergy. And we'll leave it at that creepy note. Mm. <laughs> I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Nope, not at all. By the way, would you sit in a conference where this thing was talking to you, Mel? That is so creepy looking. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> Oh, my God. That is. Oh, that's like nightmarish. Yeah, it is. It is. Oh, I don't think I would attend an AI robot conference where they're talking back to me and telling me everything's OK. Everything's exactly. going to be all right. And then like it, once it's been scolded, oh, no, we can work together oh, in can, a harmonious we will be environment. Just fine. We'll be just fine until we crush your skulls and take over. Yeah, those people need to stop. Stop it. That's right. That's right, Mel. You're absolutely right. U.S. school tests and AI robot security guard. Your kids are now safe. Yay! <laughs> no more school shooters. The rise in school shootings have forced administrations to get creative with security. And by the way, Mel, this is going to keep your kids safe from a shooter. <laughs> yeah if i could tell you it's like a scooter yeah it does it looks like it looks like the thing i ride to the dock it it mally's not lying it looks like a scooter it looks like um it looks like a four wheel a four-wheel trolley with a post in front mm -hmm. of it yeah, in the front i don't know how it is supposed to work well i'll tell you how it's supposed to work in the wake of rising incidents of shootings in schools, administrations are getting creative with security. A school in New Mexico has started a pilot program in which a robot patrols the campus 24 hours a day, seven days a week. This according to a report by the Wall Street Journal. The machine currently deployed in Santa Fe High School is currently training to learn the school's normal activities in order to identify and flag individuals who are seen in the campus after hours or exhibiting aggressive behavior, Mally. <laughs> this yellow and white trolley is supposed to come up to you and calm you down. Yeah. Should an active shooter present themselves or any other form of threat arise, the robot will alert the security team. It will then proceed to move toward the intruder and transmit video footage to aid law enforcement officers in adopting an appropriate course of action. This thing is going to get shot to hell. <laughs> mm -hmm. The robot is fully autonomous, has seven cameras, and is built to withstand a variety of weather changes. Oh, that's good. So if it gets rained on, it's fine. Uh, the robot is currently not armed since the school has opted to disable the robot's weapon detection features during the pilot test, but it can confront a hostile individual and allow security team members to interact with him or her through the machine's communication system. Santa Fe Public Schools Executive Director of Safety and Security, Mario Salbedrez, told the Wall Street Journal that the school is considering activating the robot's weapons feature at a later date. In terms of data collection, it was reported that the school owns its video footage and has final say on whether or not to save it. It's my baby save it, by the way. 
Uh, in the case of a severe threat, the robot is programmed to take more aggressive action, like pointing a laser beam at the suspect's chest and asking them to drop their weapons, Mal. <laughs> drop your weapon. Drop your weapon. Uh, luckily, as of the time of the report, the robot has only spotted and flagged new workers who are entering the school construction site <laughs> and a few individuals trying to open locked doors. So it, it's been doing its job. Video footage currently collected by the robot reveals faculty members waving to the cameras and students making peace signs. Those dirty, dirty terrorists. For the most part, the robot's presence does not seem to have phased anyone on campus. Last May, it was reported that people living in Switzerland have been privy to witnessing a patrol bot developed by a robotic startup from ETH Zurich called Ascento. Uh, that could soon take the place of human security guards. The machine has thus far been successfully acting as a guard for Swiss security firm Securitas AG and had been proven to be very agile and efficient. I don't know what it's doing. By the way, I got, uh, I got more robot dog stories from people. The robot dog is creepy. Mm-hmm. Well, it shoots flames of fire. One of them does. The other one has a machine gun that's actually mounted to its back mm-hmm. and fires rounds, like huge rounds of machine gun fire. They need to clone. We had this hall monitor security guy named G.I. Joe. Oh, yeah? Scary looking. They need to clone him because you, he would give you that look and you would just be on your way. Like you don't mess around with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was our high school guy. I I would take that. Yeah. He always wore camouflage. He was scary. The the Boston Dynamics robot that they've that's supposed to be the soldier that that would be GI Joe is very mm-hmm. easy to take out. You literally can stand by the side of him and kick him over. Oh. Yeah, he doesn't he, he doesn't have good balance. Yeah. So they're still working on him. Gotcha. Yeah, he's he's not that great. This next one is not safe for work. It's just one story. So we're going to give you a few seconds to turn down your listening device. If you're at work, get the kids out of the room. If why they're listening to Supernatural News, I have no idea. But get them out of the way. You might want to fast forward about five minutes on this story. Um, yeah, that's, this isn't a story for the kids. It is an AI story. So we'll fire up the theme, which is your cue to get the kids out of the room. Turns out, Mally, there might be a good way to use ChatGPT after all. Mm-hmm. Do tell. A new sex toy uses ChatGPT to narrate the user's raunchy fantasies and vibrates in time. I oh yeah. Pass. <laughs> oh yeah, baby, that's the way I like it, like it, like it, like it, like it. <laughs> that's wrong. It is, isn't it? <laughs> Humanity is always looking to force itself forward, so to speak, uh, to find ways to change the landscape, innovate, and invent. And that mindset clearly doesn't stop when it comes to the sex toy industry, which is exploring AI, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Artificial intelligence has been integrated into a bizarre new sex toy for both the ladies and the gentlemen, evidently. Love Sense has now hooked up ChatGPT to a sex toy that it calls the ChatGPT Pleasure Companion. <laughs> yeah. People tell the toy their sexual fantasies, and then the AI then writes a custom story for you. 
They can add as many elements to the customized fantasy as they like, including characters and locations. <laughs> but here's the thing that Bruiser would point out to us, Mal. Uh-huh. Chat GPT is racist and it lies. So your fantasy is going to be racist and it lies. So that'll be interesting. (laughs) I could just see it like being used against you, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So you're starting out with a nice, sweet, tender story. And eventually you're getting, I don't know, whipped by a giant Bigfoot. (laughs) Or what if you have like some sick, you know, uh, tendencies and it somehow like reports you for your right vivid <laughs> i mean i'm not that kind of person but i'm just saying there's some sick people out there oh yeah yeah and their little scenarios mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you get reported for for yep. it we are reporting you to the authorities mm-hmm. yeah i don't even use Oh, what do you call it? Alexa in my house? Because I'm uh, I'm concerned someone's <laughs> listening with the stuff I talk about. I yeah. would have someone knocking at my door well, <laughs> shortly. I, I just so happen to have one because I had a Samuel L. Jackson voice up, but the, oh. they no longer have Samuel L. Jackson. They killed him off. Oh, yeah. We had to, we had a funeral for a friend here a few weeks ago because no more Samuel. We killed the castmate on on Darkness Radio. First time ever. Hmm. Yeah. So, and it's all because A-L-E-X-A, you know, mm-hmm. is evil. Uh, I yeah. used to have Morgan Freeman do my uh, map. <gasps> really? Yeah. I want to have Snoop Dogg do mine. But he doesn't do it anymore, so I, know. I don't know what the deal is. I know. They're getting rid of all the good ones. I know. Do you think you could have Samuel L. Jackson do the sex toy? <laughs> that would be something, wouldn't it? That's so wrong. <laughs> that would I be. feel violated. <laughs> Stick it in, motherfucker! You know, something like that. It'd be, it'd, yeah. <clears throat> that'd be, that'd be fun. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> you're totally in the mood. All of a sudden his voice comes on. You're like, oh, done. Oh, yeah. Mm, little forceful. <laughs> little forceful. <laughs> Not quite the vibe I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, let's continue with the story. That story is then narrated, by the way, when you put the story in, so to speak, um, when the toy vibrates in time with it. (laughs) So if you did get Samuel L. Jackson, you get him yelling while the vibrating's happening. Uh. It'd be like a giant earthquake to Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, Love Sense said, the higher the intensity of the story, the stronger and faster the toy's reaction would be. You gotta have Samuel L. Jackson then. Now, he wasn't the one that was talking about the Royale with cheese. Yes. Or was it Travolta that was talking about it? Well, they both were. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All of a sudden, that conversation comes in in the middle of your story. (laughs) What the? That would be classic. (laughs) Speaking to TechCrunch, Dan Liu, uh, CEO of LoveSense, explained our advanced LoveSense chat GPT pleasure companion now allows you to design a story you want to embody any of your fantasies or dreams and to fully immerse you into them. With our companion's help, you can now create any stories and explore your sexuality and boundaries completely independently. Describe 
as a means to explore your sexuality and boundaries completely independently. The design is currently in beta. Uh, people are asked to download an app to control the device. Four settings are offered to users. <laughs> Romantic, sensual, juicy, or spicy. <laughs> this sounds like the way I order my chicken at Popeye's. Yeah. <laughs> Your chicken wings. I, uh, I'd like my, um, my chicken romantic and my jambalaya spicy, if you would. <laughs> I remember you ate jambalaya in my car. I did, yeah. Cincinnati, you had a bowl in the front seat eating I did, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I still apologize for that to this day. Oh, I don't care. Mm. But it was just kind of funny. It was quite fragrant. I, I apologize for that. <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> Popeye's jambalaya is quite fragrant. And I, it, yeah, it was a long trip, too. It, it was a very long trip. Yeah. It was Chicago to For, Minneapolis. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. Apologize. No, it was Cincinnati. Yeah, it was Cincinnati. You went to the wedding, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, I ate jambalaya the entire trip. It was a big bowl, too. <laughs> it was their jumbo bowl of jambalaya. <laughs> I was hungry, though. Yeah. Long time. Long drive. Long drive. Um, there's an example here. <laughs> they have like a little screen capture. Uh-huh. Um, oh, so somebody types in, I'm sunbathing on the beach with my Lush 3. That must be the name of the toy, I guess. Okay. Bring me a pattern with some relaxing pulses. So it says, here's the generated pattern. Enjoy. And then it's got the little, hmm, there you go. Okay. I guess. Uh, people have been sharing their thoughts on the matter online with one person saying, this is the good use of generative AI. <laughs> a second chipped in. It's more than a pleasure toy. It's your own personal erotica author. Why dream when you can script? A third added chat GPT. It's what all the um, buzz is about. Oh God, that's horrible. Hopefully they're not writing scripts. Uh, could you see yourself incorporating AI into your special alone time? I, I'm not asking you the question, Mally, but if you want to answer it, you <laughs> I'm can. like, I'm not going to answer. Okay. All right. There you go. Uh, that's just a question for the audience. So there you go. Um, but yeah, yeah, there you go. Chat GPT and a uh, little bit of the alone time. Let's move on, shall we? Yes, please. All right. We'll move on. <laughs> Uh, we'll move on from ChatGPT uh, to uh, Mothman, <laughs> someone who doesn't require a little bit of a buzz in his alone time, uh, or maybe he does. Uh, we go to Chicago where there are reports from the vo void. We're going to talk actually about T Tobias Wayland or Wyland, um, who evidently has some reports from the Chicago area of a flying humanoid sighting that he never thought to report. There's an article out there this week, or from the past week or two here. Um, Reports from the Void actually is uh, an article that's out there from the Singular Fortean Society. And I'll read from the article here, which is actually quite interesting. It's a, it's a short article. And... It says, in November of 2022, the Singular Fortean Society received the following email from someone wishing to recount their experience of their brother, whom they said saw a strange flying humanoid in the summer of 2014. In the summer of 2014, my brother was driving his girlfriend home at around 2 a.m., both of them sober, by the way, Mally. This is a very important, <laughs> okay. important uh, 
detail. They both lived in Streamwood, Illinois, and neighboring subdivisions off Schomburg Road. Across from the subdivisions on the other side of Schomburg Road is a forest preserve, and they're located just east of Irving Park Road. Uh, During their short drive, my brother stopped his car because what he described as a seven-foot-tall person with shiny black skin was standing in the middle of Schomburg Road. Right when his car came to a stop, he said wings wings shot out from its sides and bolted straight up, almost like it was propelled. They both saw it and just kept driving. We grew up there and are familiar with the large birds in the woods, and it was mainly red-tailed hawks and owls. I trust this account of the event, and I don't think he'd get that freaked out by a crane or an owl. Neither of us knew what the Mothman was until I looked into it online, and I found the Thunderbird of native folklore to fit his description more than it was being a giant moth. I know it's years later, and it's telling me this secondhand instead of him, instead of him, uh, but he's not much of a talker. I thought I'd pass this along to add to the list of sightings in this area. Thanks. In a follow-up email, investigator Tobias Wayland uh, explained, traditionally, Mothman isn't ever described with insectoid features, so your brother's sighting is consistent with what others have reported. He then expressed the importance of receiving sighting reports firsthand and asked if his, the brother's or the person's brother might be willing to speak with him directly, but never received a response. Based on the written testimony, the sighting took place near Rolling Knolls Forest Preserve, which places it within less than a dozen miles of another reported sighting in Schaumburg. That report, also a single email that could not be followed up on, described a seven-foot-tall humanoid with a very large wingspan that had red glowing eyes and gave the witness a feeling of pure evil. Both Schaumburg reports are centrally located among the dozens of reported Mothman sightings received out of the Chicago metropolitan area over the past several years. Those reports are seemingly part of a larger phenomenon, which is the Lake Michigan Mothman that is commonly reported within a few hundred miles radius surrounding Lake Michigan, including every state bordering the Great Lakes. The sightings uh, ostensibly began in the spring of 2017, but more historical accounts are being reported as more people become aware of the phenomenon. They generally take place in the evening or at night, often in or near a park or natural area and around water. Witnesses uh, consistently uh, describe a large gray, brown, or black bat or bird-like creature, sometimes with glowing or reflective red, yellow, green, or orange eyes. And humanoid features, such as arms and legs, are often reported. Some witnesses have reported feeling intense fear and an aura of evil emanating from the creature that they encountered. Many of the sightings are also of something seen only briefly or are described only as a flying creature with few details, which leaves open the possibility that a misidentified large bird, such as a heron or crane, or some type of anomalous avian species, could explain some, although certainly not all, of the encounters. A number of associated high strangeness incidents have also occurred alongside the creature sightings. These include reports of UFOs, other anomalous flying creatures, and mysterious humanoids, parapsychological phenomena, and bizarre events experienced by those investigating the sightings. Um, 
It's an interesting article, Mally, and you know, it's not the first time that Mothman's been cited in that area of Chicago. I know Lon Strickler has a lot of sightings that he reports out of the Chicago area, and there's some other friends of ours that report them, too, out of the Chicago area. But have there been any disasters? Because you know how they say, like, the Mothman, you know, is a harbinger of bad news. Yes, yeah. Um, Recently, not that I've heard of, but Mm -hmm. you're right. You're right. I mean, the the one that that I keep coming to, and the one that I keep reporting here on this show, is that people claim that they saw Mothman shortly before the 35W bridge collapse. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a few people that claim that they saw a Mothman on the underside of the 35W bridge. Oh. Yeah. Uh, now, whether whether that's true or not, I don't know. There were no MnDOT cams that actually caught Mothman right. or anything looking like Mothman. But there were some individual reports that said that they saw him. Mm, so I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm try, I'll try to cross-reference an article within the next week or two here that, that cites that so you guys can cross-reference. But um, I've seen myself, I've seen the articles that, that state that. Um, and it's an interesting tidbit. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's one more thing to, to put a notch on Mothman's belt, so to speak. Um, but yeah, it seems like bridge collapses are a big thing with Mothman. Um, mm-hmm. among other disasters, like you pointed out, Mal. That's for sure. That's for sure. Uh, also in the cryptid world, an alleged 1883 Bigfoot photograph has been exposed as a hoax. Uh, this impressive-looking photograph... Now, w- once we say this and you look at it, you go, well, of course that's a hoax. Um, this impressive-looking photograph of a large hominid creature next to a human has been produced using an AI image tool. And actually, I'll, I'll show you, Mally. When I show you this, so you're going to go, well, of course it is. Okay, I have seen that on yeah. social media for the past few days. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you look at it, don't you think, well, of course, that's got to be AI. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, when if you just kind of look at it, to me, it looks almost like a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, but I guess some people get fooled very quickly. Uh, as if conventional fake photographs aren't enough of a problem these days, we have to contend with images created using artificial intelligence as well. There's an intriguing image out there which shows a man next to a very large Bigfoot uh which has recently been circulating social media with the caption, this photograph taken in 1883, this year on, I believe it's Oakey Mountain, uh, Cleburne County, Alabama, USA, was found buried in a glass jar on the family estate. Now, let me point out something about photography in 1883, Mally. Mm -hmm. They didn't have very quick shutters. So you would have to have Bigfoot stand still for a very long time. Mm-hmm. in order to take this kind of photo, which means Bigfoot would have to be holding this man's hand. <laughs> for a long period of time. <laughs> right. And that, that shutter would have to be open for a good minute or so. Right. Maybe 30 seconds. I'd have to ask some photographer friends of ours how long exactly they'd have to be standing next to each other. Uh, but it'd have to be a good long time. It'd be more than seven seconds, I'm sure. As it turns out, however, the image can be traced back to the at the AI experiments on Instagram, which is an account known for sharing a number of AI-generated images. According to artist Dan Lyle, it was created using Mid Journey version 5.1 using the prompt. 
Picture of the last known giant Neanderthal on Earth walking amongst normal height men, black and white, tattered vintage photo, AR with the ratio 9 sixteenths, version 5.1 style raw. And that created that man next to that Bigfoot, which is interesting. Uh, and then, of course, it was, it was tweeted out by mocking the people, Bigfoot or Sasquatch, with the caption, this photograph taken in 1883, this year on Oki Mountain, Cleburne County, Alabama, USA, was found buried in a glass jar on the family estate. Meanwhile, someone was laughing their ass off as they sent right. it out. I mean, you know, it's, it is what it is. Yeah, unfortunately, you're going to have a bunch of people that thought it was real. Yeah. Well, uh, I, and I mean, it, it takes three seconds and a little bit of photographic history to go, wait a minute, in 1883, they couldn't, you know, those are long, long exposure cameras, and there's no way, you know. Yeah, but some people don't think that deep into it, though. I they can't. just see a picture and they're like, oh, it's Bigfoot, 1883, <laughs> found in a bottle. Sure. <laughs> it's got to be real. Uh, it, it just takes three seconds of common sense, I guess. But it is what it is. Uh, let's talk about the creepy legends of Korean egg ghosts, shall we? Yes, because I'm very curious about this one. Okay. Um, interesting little article that, that came across the desk. Egg ghosts, or and I'm about to butcher my Korean here. It's not very good as it is. Uh, Dalgail Guishin emanate from Korean folklore and legend. They are named for their pale, ovoid appearance, but these horrifying creatures are no Humpty Dumpty characters from children's nursery rhymes. Instead, despite the silly name, the Dalgail Guishin is one of the more terrifying entities that you could imagine. Not only do egg ghosts look creepy, but the tales behind their conception are quite sad, haunting, and mysterious. The result is one of the most unique phantoms in all of ghost lore. So, Mally, you may ask, what is an egg ghost? Yes, what is an egg ghost? Well, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> counts of the egg ghosts vary wildly. Sometimes they're described as humanoid entities without facial features. Their heads are described as being opaque and egg-shaped, as they occasionally appear larger than figures' bodies. In other tales, these ghosts more closely resemble hunchbacks. That's kind of weird. Yeah. In some stories, egg ghosts are not only faceless, but lack legs, arms, or any other extremities. Instead, they look just like eggs, and they are always faceless. Perhaps the lack of well-defined description of an egg ghost comes down to the belief that anyone who sees an egg ghost is not long for this world. Ooh. Yeah. There, that's not a good thing. Mm -mm. A Dalgail Gwishin uh, spirit d uh, do not have much in the way of a well-defined personality or human trait. This lack of personality makes egg ghosts something of an anomaly within East Asia or Korean folklore, where most mythical beings feature human characteristics, or are associated with particular people. For example, there are the devious and seductive Umio, which is the mournful virgin ghosts. I could run into a few of those. Um, <laughs> which are the Kianyo Guishin, uh, and the vengeful Kuchisaki Ona, 
wonder what that is. Uh, meanwhile, egg ghosts tend to act with little discernible motivation. They typically prowl forests restlessly, stalking any hikers who wander there. But they do not attack the hikers. Instead, what they do is they imbue them with whatever drama resulted in their existence, the devastating gravity of which kills the hikers. Oh. Interesting. Again, there are many variations on the egg ghost tale. In some stories, egg ghosts do not kill people but possess them. In other stories, they do not inhabit forests but other dark shadowy places like the alleyways of cities. Interesting. Where do Delgayle Gwishin come from? Well, no one is quite sure how or why an egg ghost manifests. However, most believe that it is the form of a childless spirit who died without any loved ones present. That's sad. Oh, that's sad. It's very sad. Uh, this lack of friends and family results in egg ghosts lacking any features, personality, or identity. Dalgyle Gwishin spirits are commonly depicted as women, hence the childless element of the legend. The egg-shaped aspect may also have symbolic meaning, as eggs are often associated with fertility and motherhood. Similar spirits and legends, the most similar ghosts in Korean folklore to egg ghosts are the Kianyu Gwisin, or virgin ghosts. These are malevolent female spirits who died without marrying or bearing children. It is said that Korean towns once erected phallic symbols and statues to ward off these ghosts. <laughs> Interesting culture. Mm -hmm. uh, another similar Asian entity to the egg ghost is the faceless Noapra Abo of Japan, unlike the Dalgayal Gwishin, or Gwishin, yeah, Gwishin, uh, these spirits are relatively harmless, preferring to scare humans to rather than hurt them. Uh, they do so by irritating someone, I'm sorry, they do so by imitating, not irritating, but imitating someone the person knows only to shock them by revealing their horrifying appearance. Oh, so they suck you in by imitating someone they, that you know. Right. And then they reveal their horrifying selves and scare the hell out of you. Uh, like egg ghosts, no one knows why these apparitions behave the way they do. The faceless nature of egg ghosts and their tendency to wander forests bears some resemblance to the Western creepypasta known as Slender Man. But the feature but they feature very different backstories. So why are egg ghosts so terrifying, you may ask? Well, compared to other myths and legends, egg ghosts do not have the richest folklore, but it is this very lack of understanding, reasoning, motivation, or physical characteristics which make egg ghosts so terrifying. Incapable of communication, an egg ghost cannot be pleaded or bargained with. They cannot be tricked or understood. And by the time you become aware of one, it's already too late. Perhaps the only thing more terrifying than an egg ghost is the thought of becoming one. To become trapped as a restless spirit, stripped of all humanity, left to wander lonely throughout the forests of Korea. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Creepy to think uh, that it's faceless, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, not good. Well, I've got more. I've got a couple more creepy stories. And then we're going to tell you how you can liquefy your body in seven different ways, or get rid of it <laughs> in seven different ways. We're not leaving you on a good note today, Mel. It's it's not uh, unless you want me to find a happy, happy, joy, joy story. I, we do have a, a parachair story uh, before we go any further. So now that we've talked about egg ghosts, 
uh, we can we can do a parashare story for you. Uh, we have a parashare story today from Nancy Gregg. By the way, if you have a parashare story for us, it's real simple. There's two ways to get it to us. You can send it by email, type it out to us, uh, and send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. Or you can go to our website, darknessradioshow.com. There's a blue button on the right-hand side of our website. You just click that blue button, and a voice note will come up. You can record your voice note. You've got a two-minute window to do so. A button yet again and record another two minutes. I'll stitch those two and two together. We'll make four, and we'll play it here on the show. If you need more than that, click it again. We'll make six. We'll do it, and we'll play it on the show here. Uh, Nancy Gregg writes to us, I was in bed a couple of hours before this event took place. Around midnight, I had a dream. Something was chasing me in a crab form. What I felt while dreaming was this bony fingers in the position and speed of playing chopsticks on the piano on my pillow. I felt the fingers slip under me while lying on my back like they were filling in crevices. <laughs> I somehow slept soundly the rest of the night. How do you sleep soundly yeah, the rest exactly. of the night? Exactly. That's what I want to know. I would be up all night. Bony fingers on you, playing chopsticks. But somehow, Nancy, you slept just fine. <laughs> she probably falls asleep to like Dateline and true crime. Probably. Uh, well, God love you, Nancy, and thanks for the <laughs> thanks for the parachute. Appreciate it. Again, send in your parachute, Tim at darknessradio.com or leave us a voice note, darknessradioshow.com. This story, Mally, uh, not good. Thirty-six students are hop- hospitalized after hysteria at school after playing with a Ouija board. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Maybe school isn't the place to be playing with a Ouija board. Yeah. This happens a lot uh, overseas though especially in Asian countries. School children at San Francisco de Assisi School in Colombia were reported suffering convulsions, temporary loss of sight, and anxiety after reporting using a Ouija board. This happening in South America, as I say overseas in, in Asia, but it was in South America. Dozens of children were sprinkled with holy water and rushed to the hospital after reportedly playing with a Ouija board at school. Teachers and family members had to help the 36 children at San Francisco Diocese School, and I believe this is Timbique, Colombia. Reports say the children were admitted to a local hospital for treatment for a number of concerning symptoms, including fainting, temporary loss of sight, and anxiety. Uh, before they left the school, rector damn near killed her, Emilio <laughs> Balanta. I love that joke. I don't know what it is about it. Uh, Sprinkled holy water onto the group and was heard muttering a prayer. He said, it is a very unusual phenomenon which occurred. A girl started to struggle, so the others grabbed her so she wouldn't hit herself. Then another girl started to have the same problem. There are 36 students. They are children of all ages. This is what is believed. It was a diabolical situation. There's no explanation for what happened. There is none. Uh, it, some say it's because of the Ouija board and others because of an online challenge they found on the internet. There are two versions, but no one has verified it yet. The rector added most of the youngsters have since recovered since the scary incident earlier this month. He added, we had to take them all to the hospital, but they are now around 90% recovered. Some still have certain symptoms, but nothing major. An investigation into the incident is still ongoing. I believe it is... Amar, Amar, Amarildo 
Korea. That's what it is. Amarildo Korea, education secretary for Kakao Department, called for parents and teachers to be more vigilant around children. He said, we are asking parents, administrators, and teachers to be aware around students so we can prevent these types of events from happening again. In Columbia in March this year, 28 schoolgirls were hospitalized after using a Ouija board at school and losing consciousness. The school's directors and teachers accompanied the students to the hospital. Hugo Torres, head of the Galeris Educational Institution in Galeris Sucre Department, said at the time uh, there were 28 possible cases of anxiety in school students. The respective parents and or guardians were informed of the situation at the time. One mother complained, I work here in a hospital kiosk and every day I see three or four children arrive after fainting. Parents, you have to move investigate what's happening at school because our children cannot continue in this situation. Our children always have a good breakfast and it cannot be said what's happening is due to lack of food. At the time, the police officer who retired to work as an exorcist suggested the reason 28 girls fell ill in Colombia is because they opened a doorway to evil while playing with a Ouija board. Florio, a former New York uh, Police Department cop, travels the U.S. performing exorcisms with his wife, Harmony, and claims to rid homes and individuals of evil spirits. Currently, there are five documented cases occurring at multiple schools in the country after the use of Ouija boards by teens and potentially more incidents that are not documented. For example, one previous incident mentions a teen girl standing up, speaking a strange language, and hitting her brother with a stick. But are these schools, though, religious schools? You know what I mean? Are they like yeah. Catholic schools where the children are very religious and very, you know, they're devout Catholics or whatever. So they might have the mass hysteria that a normal child that w- isn't so religious would have. I would say yes. I, I think if they're not. Yeah, yeah, I think they are. I, I, I was going to say if they're not religious schools, if they're not Catholic schools, then they're probably schools with a Catholic curriculum. So you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And there's a difference yeah. between the two. Um, a Catholic school is a, a school run by a Catholic organization that has a, strictly has the religion incorporated all throughout the day. Um, mm-hmm. Where a school with a Catholic curriculum would have mass before the school day and then run school. And then might have mass afterwards or, or might have some sort of religious gathering afterwards. But the rest of the day is taught as a strict school curriculum uh, mm-hmm. where there's no mention of religion. Um, but both are run by the church. And it sounds like these, these schools are run by the church. Uh, they're not run by the state. You know what I mean? And right, I, right. Because I, I think if I was very religious, I would probably be scared if or nervous around a Ouija board you know, always thinking demonic, blah, blah, blah. But since I'm not, you know, I don't have a fear of Ouija boards. So I'm just wondering if that's one of the reasons why these children are having the mass hysteria. Well, I think not only that, Mel, but I think the temptation is there more, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, the kids see this challenge on TikTok and it's more tempting to do it and do it at Mm -hmm. school, you know, Um, because uh, I guess it's more taboo in the in the catholic religion than it would be you know than it would be like say in a protestant religion Mm -hmm. you know it just it's the ultimate sin so to speak because ouija boards have been given 
a bad name in the Catholic religion. It's it's the the, the telephone to the devil, right? Know? And it gets perpetuated by Hollywood as well. Mm-hmm. So you know, speaking of the the trailer for the Nun came out this week. Oh, I haven't seen it. Uh, essentially, it's it's a continuation of the story from the last movie with the Nun and the Conjuring okay. series. So it's a continuation, uh, another offshoot of the the Conjuring series. So and it's the Nun from the Conjuring series. So it looks like a direct sequel. Okay, but it looks like it's the origin series or the origin movie for the Nun. Okay. Because they show a nun that looks very much like the nun without her makeup. Mm-hmm. And it kind of, she starts to tell her story, but then she looks in the mirror and there's the nun as we know her looking back at her. Okay. So it, to, to me, it looks like it's it's insinuating that it's an origin story. Hmm. So I, at least that maybe I'm reading it wrong, but it, that, to me, I think that's what it is. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. So... Uh, but yeah, there's uh, that movie is coming. I think it's October. It's September or okay. October that that's coming out. Um, I have not seen Insidious yet. Have you seen the new Insidious movie? No, I haven't. I want to, though. Yeah, I'll probably check that out this week. But if you've seen the new Insidious movie, uh, let us know. Let us know and let us know what you thought of it. Mm-hmm. It was the MRI scene that got me. That's why I haven't yeah. seen it. I had an opportunity to see it and I didn't see it yet. It was yeah, just too much. Yeah, that's creepy. Yeah. I, I spent way too much time in, in MRI machines. So it it, um, it got me a little too much. I know Bruiser probably hasn't seen it yet either because we mm-hmm. both of us, too much time in MRI machines. It's that's, That and being buried alive is is the oh, two, two things that get me too much. Yeah. Yeah. I can't do it. Uh, one more story before we get to the the last story of the day. So two stories left here. I can do math. I, I learned how. <laughs> I don't know if you know that now, but yeah. I'm glad you could at least get up to two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can get up to two. Yeah, if it, if it weren't for uh, clothes, I'd be able to count to 21. <laughs> um, a ghost of a girl who drowned in a disaster is spotted floating near her memorial, Mally. Oh. Yeah, interesting story here. Paranormal investigators believe they spotted the ghost of a little girl who drowned in a mining disaster nearly 200 years ago, with eerie footage appearing to show her floating. They all float down there, Mel. Oh, (laughs) creepy. I know. I had to throw that in there. Uh, Paranormal investigators claim to have captured eerie footage that shows the floating ghost of a little girl who drowned in a mining disaster nearly 200 years ago. Ghost hunters Lindsay and Lee Steer initially assumed that they hadn't encountered any spirits during their trip to Husker Pit near Silkstone, South Yorkshire on June 24th, but then they watched their footage back. Um, After arriving home, however, the pair were shown an eerie screenshot from their memorial site live stream, which seems to show one of the 26 children who tragically drowned when a mine shaft flooded back in 1838. The Clip shows what appears to be a still white apparition floating in front of a tree trunk with 37-year-old Lee walking away without spotting it. 54-year-old Lindsay reckons the mysterious figure is that of a young girl clothed in a white dress and says she's 100% sure it's a ghost. Uh, The full-time ghost hunter Lindsay says the child was seen near the old day Day hole shaft is what they call it, which flooded 
After a stream burst its banks nearly 200 years ago, it's believed the dead children were recovered from the accident site, washed, and then clothed in white. And Lindsay says that's why the spirit is wearing a white dress. The full-time ghost hunter says the heartbreaking footage is so amazing that she'd question if it was fake had it not been filmed on their live stream. Lindsay, who lives in Rotterdam, uh, South Yorkshire, says it looks like a little girl standing there. I've captured a real-life spirit here. She looks like she's got a little white dress, and I can see a little face, mouth, and two eyes. It looks like she's elevated off the floor, and she's got bare feet. It's really interesting because I think it's up near the day hole where the children sadly drowned. It's bizarre. Uh, she continued, I'd say it's possibly one of the children from the Husker pit. It's heartbreaking to see. We didn't see the image until we got home, and I noticed a couple of people had seen it. It's really mind-blowing. We ask our viewers to screenshot anything of interest because we're not particularly watching the screen all of the time. Sometimes I wonder if people have doctored these screenshots, but I'm watching the video now and I can see it. I believe this is 100% a spirit child. Lee's a bit like, wow, even though he's skeptical. If we put that on Facebook and we weren't live, people would say we've edited it. It's amazing. I'm sure if we took that to the locals at Silkstone, they'd be really impressed. According to Lindsay, who lives just 10 minutes away from the Husker Pit Memorial, the pair picked some interesting electromagnetic field readings using their ghost hunting device after reaching out to spirits with questions. Lindsay says she's always feeling emotional when she visits the memorial. The site is marked by the statue of a child miner climbing out of a hole, which was commissioned by local residents back in 1908. To mark the 160, I'm sorry, 1988, not 1908, 1988, to mark the 160th anniversary of the tragedy. She and Lee regularly share their investigations with their 2.3 million social media followers who have been left particularly spooked by this find. Another applauded, fantastic catch, well done. I can see her clearly with a white dress. A third remarked, wow, that's an amazing capture. I'm going to see if I can pull up a picture that's somewhat clear and show it to you here, Mally, and see if you can see what they're... Because mm -hmm. if that is, if they did capture the ghost, oh, that's so sad. Oh, oh, okay. I mean, it's circled, so you can see a little bit right, better. Right, right, yeah. Do you see what they're looking at? Yeah, you can see the head and the shoulders, the dress, yeah. Yeah, so... There you go. I'll tell you what, I'm going to put this one up, or I'm going, to, I'm going to put a link to this in the description of this program so you can read the article and see it for yourself. Now, I showed you, I showed you the close-up of it. Here on the left-hand side is the picture with the tree. Is it, is it less obvious there? Uh, I mean, you still see something, though. Yeah, I mean, you still see something, but it's not as right. obvious. Right. Yeah, the full picture, it's not as obvious. But people saw it, though, when they were live. Though, right, correct? right. When it was live stream, right. the actual video was live stream. They actually saw this ghost in real time. So, I mean, it was quite, it was quite obvious. It was quite a, quite a good shot. So, uh, but like I said, I will put this uh, in, in here without the, without the circle around it, Mally. That's what it looks like. Okay. So it's, it's pretty clear. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll put the I'll put this story the link to the story up in the description of the show. 
Um, so you can click on it yourself. You can take a look at it and uh, and see it for yourself. So there you go. Um, and uh, and you can see just how clear this is. And and be a skeptic. You decide whether you can debunk it and and see if maybe it's something else. So there you go. We're going to close it out a little gruesome today, Mal. Instead of going out on a good note, unless you want me to find something to go out on a good note, I got to tell well, that's you this: just too gruesome. Is that too gruesome? No, I, I mean we've talked about it before. Just now, I'm going to be up all night. Thank you. Oh no! No, you it's know, fine. You know what I can do because because I got to tell you, I got to tip my hat to Margot because Margot sent me about 45 stories this week. I was going to say, I feel like she's contributing a lot <laughs> to I, I the show. Margot Margo <laughs> wants to be on the payroll. I, I really do think so. She needs uh, to get in line. <laughs> yeah, really. I, I Just think. Kidding. Yeah, yeah. Mally's got seniority on you, Margot. I think she's getting paid first. Um, but she's she's got a ton of stories. She sent me a ton of stories. I could probably find something funny to end on today. No, you can I, do your seven deaths because you already don't. Let's not tease the listeners and then not. That's true. Give them the story. Go that, for it. That is true. That is true. Um, well, no, we're going to give them the story. We're going to we're going to give them this the seven different ways. Um, let me see here. Is this this story? Oh, that one's for that one's for True Crime Tuesday. Um, <laughs> that one is just inappropriate. Um, <laughs> I'll just watch something happy go lucky after we get off air. Are you sure? Yes, you sure? I am. I'm a big girl. I can handle it. Uh. Oh, that this is okay. I got a bizarre one we can end on too. Okay. Okay. All right. So we're going to end on a bizarre one, but we'll we'll, we'll give you the seven seven ways to, to liquefy your body or get rid of it too. We'll we'll uh, give you this one first. Don't fancy being liquefied after you're gone. Well, seven other ways that your body can be disposed of when you die from being left to rot at a body farm to a sky burial. I think we've talked about these before mm -hmm. uh, where your corpse is picked clean by vultures. It's the happy part of our program now. Oh. We'll try to go through it quickly. There's water cremation. <laughs> Where you will finally be offered as body disposal. It finally will be offered as body disposal in the UK. Uh, it rapidly decomposes a person's body in water streams and alkaline chemicals. So they just kind of really do turn you into bone soup. Yeah, I watched a video on that because I was curious. Did I shouldn't you? have done that. Alkaline yeah. hydrolysis? Did it, yeah. did it creep you out? It didn't creep me out, but it was like, nope, not doing that one. Many Britons are delighted that water cremations will soon be give, giving them another option. See, I'm afraid of drowning, too. Mm. Drowning is the worst. When, when I think about people on the Titanic, the, yeah. the pressure in the water, it, in the, the, the sub that went down, that was the worst. Yes. Yeah, that, people that were making fun of that, it made me cringe. Because mm -hmm. you have no idea. The pressure and what right. happens to the body when you, when you go down there, that's a nightmare. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how you could laugh at that. It just ugh. yeah. No, they need to watch MythBusters because they did it. They used a pig. Yep, and it was disgusting. It was. Um, many Britons are delighted that water cremations will soon give them another option when considering how they'd like their body to be disposed of after they die. Also known as alkaline hydrolysis, 
The process involves rapidly decomposing a corpse in a stream of water and alkaline chemicals, leaving only liquid and bones. Bone soup, as, as Bruiser yeah. and I call it. Yeah. The liquid known as effluent, it's not affluent, but effluent, can go down the drain with other wastewater and bones that can be ground to ash for the bereaved owner to take home. There you go, kids. Remember me that way. Uh, in the UK, water cremation will offer an alternative to the commonly used flame cremations and traditional land burials. But around the world, there are a multitude of options, many of which are downright bizarre. Uh, Mail Online actually came up with the different ways, everything from uh, coral reefs built from your ashes, believe it or not, Mally. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Yeah, to burials in space and even being left to rot at a body farm in the name of science. Let's run them down real quick, shall we? Mm -hmm. uh, let's see here. Cryomation. It sounds like a concept consigned to the movies, but cryomation is the process of freezing your body, and it's used in the real world. The process involves using liquid nitrogen to chill your body to minus 313 degrees Fahrenheit, leaving it so brittle that it can be fragmented on a vibrating mat. Didn't they say that Walt Disney did that? I thought he... I know that Ted Williams froze his head, but I don't know. Did, oh. did, did Disney do that? I'm not sure. I thought it was one of those urban legends. But maybe be. I'm yeah, wrong. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, a magnet then removes metal objects such as filings and artificial limbs, leaving a sterile powder, giving a whole new meaning to dust to dust. Just like the ashes from a normal flame-based cremation, the sterile powder can then be scattered or kept in an urn, though sometimes a step is skipped and the frozen body is kept intact. Much like Disney, I bet. Uh, some proponents think cryomation is a good option in case the dead human body can be revived down the line following scientific advances, although they might be waiting a while. As of 2023, an estimated 500 bodies in cryonics storage worldwide are waiting for such a breakthrough, most of which are in the U.S., but the process of cryomation doesn't come cheap and is mainly reserved for the wealthy who have left a personal fortune. Cryomation, by the way, typically costs around $200,000 and this doesn't include any annual storage fees. So Wouldn't it be funny if remember that story that you did with the uh, cleaner guy? He unplugged the freezer. Yes. <laughs> so like he's at the cryo place yes. and he accidentally unplugs it because it's making a hum noise. Right, right. <laughs> and then you're done. You're done though right there. Yep. Number two is plastination. That sounds like uh, that sounds like some sort of band that I saw over at First Avenue. <laughs> Possibly one of the most gruesome options is plastination, which involves preserving tissues, organs, and whole bodies for medical purposes and public display. Oh, like you see at the museum. Oh, yeah. where they like slice your body in those thin slices. Yeah, and then they put you on display at the museum. Yeah. Yeah. It was invented by a German anatomist. Anatomist? Yeah. Yeah, called Gunther von Hagens in 1977 after he saw medical students struggle to work with corpses that quickly decomposed. Plastination firstly involves applying a formaldehyde-based solution to the body to kill any bacteria that would cause it to rot away. Next, the body is immersed in concentrated solutions of acetone to remove any water before it's placed in a bath of liquid polymer, such as silicone or resin. 
Lastly, the body's cured either by heating it or exposing it to ultraviolet light, which hardens the polymer and preserves the body. Dr. Von Hagens used plastination for his controversial Body Worlds exhibition, which has been accused of taking human corpses without consent. Well, that's nice. Yeah. Did you ever go to that? No. I did. It was very interesting. Was it? Yeah. yeah. I, I thought there was a weird smell. I thought about it, but then I, if I, if yeah. anything was hinky about it, I would have probably yeah, just thrown like up. Mutter Museum in Philadelphia. Weird oh, yeah. smell. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably would have thrown up. <laughs> uh, the German doctor who is terminally ill right now with Parkinson's disease has said he wants to become part of his exhibition after he dies. So. Oh. Yeah, he wants to be part of the whole gig. Uh, let's move on to the next one. The next one is, uh, did I skip one? Oh, there we go. Uh, sky burial. You too can become My a sky My dad king. wants to do that. Really? Yeah. Mr. Fox wants to be sky buried? Yeah. But my brother will probably go the cheap route and ju- cheap route and just do it from his backyard with like a <laughs> skyrocket thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's just going to throw him from a balloon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also known as, I believe it's Jatter or Jater. Uh, sky burials are an ancient ritual of death among Tibetan Buddhists. The practice dates back more than 10,000 years and is still performed today. It involves a corpse being placed on a mountaintop to decompose while exposed to the elements while it remains readily available to hungry scavengers such as crows and vultures. That's how Mr. Fox wants to go? No, I misunderstood. I thought it was when they're launched into space. Oh, no, no, we're getting to that. But no, no, no. Oh, okay. No, no, that's what my dad wants. This is not a, the mountain thing. This is a mountaintop. I'm like, Jesus, do I need to talk to your dad? With the Buddhist monks. <laughs> oh. No, I thought it was a skyrocket thing. Oh. To prevent bones from being carried off by the birds, a grid or netting is often placed over yeah. the decomposing corpse. Uh, Sky burials tend to be practiced in mountainous parts of Mongolia and China, including Tibet, where the ground is too hard to dig a grave. If you think a sky burial doesn't pay the human corpse enough reverence, traditional Buddhist belief considers the body a vessel to house the spirit, which holds a little meaning once the person dies. According to Brighton Funeral Directors, practitioners do not visit sky burial sites out of respect, while photography is forbidden and is thought to interfere with the ascent of the soul to the heavens. Sky burials do not tend to be legal in Western societies, and in the UK, the Human Tissue Act of 2004 prohibits the practice. Okay. Number four is a body farm. No, thank you. Let the bodies hit the floor, Mel. Let the bodies hit the floor. Uh, a body farm is officially known as a human taphonomy facility. Taphonomy. Uh, it is a controlled facility where human bodies are left to decompose at their natural rate. Ew, that can't be sanitary. There's usually uh, they're usually operated by forensic scientists under a local university and have strict protections to ensure strangers cannot enter. How exactly the bodies affect surrounding vegetation as they decompose can answer questions such as how long they've been there, possibly providing crucial evidence in murder cases. There already are about 10 human body farms in four countries around the world, one each in Canada, Australia, and the Netherlands, and the rest in the U.S. And these countries, members in the, uh, of the public who want their body to be put in u- or put to use rather for research purposes after their death can sign up to carry a donor card, much like they do for organ donation. The U.K. doesn't have a body farm, partly due to the opposition from members of the government 
and certain academics who find the concept too gruesome, despite this insights gained from body farms, can potentially put a murderer behind bars after a successful conviction in court. Interesting. Number five is a reef ball. You too okay. can, can become a, a coral reef. Now that sounds pretty. It does, doesn't it? Uh, one of the most unusual body disposal options is the so-called reef ball, a type of artificial reef made from concrete that contains the cremated remains of a human being. The balls are full of holes for fish to swim through and have rough surfaces for small coral polyps to attach to or grow on. Human reef balls are seen as a perfect option for marine scientists, divers, or anyone who's had a lifetime affection for the water or sea creatures, just like other artificial reef structures. They tend to be placed in regions of the ocean where corals are struggling to survive. Family members are given coordinates of where they will be dropped in the water in case they want to return and pay their respects, just like a land grave. Eternal Reefs, a Florida-based charity, charges $4,500 for the creation of an eternal reef ball that measures two feet high by three feet wide. Okay. So there you go. You could be a reef ball, Mally. That sounds kind of pretty, though. Yeah. That's Very not peaceful. Bad. Yeah. Unless you have a fear of drowning. Oh, which I do. <laughs> so yeah. I will not be a reef ball. No. <laughs> the one that Mr. Fox wants so badly is a space burial. Yes. Yes. If you're a space or sci-fi fan, this is the one for you, although it may set you back or your family back more than $12,000. That's not bad. Unless you have my brother, that'll go the cheap route. Uh, which is a giant slingshot in your casket. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, space burials involving the launching of human remains into space, or it could be an urn and a slingshot. Too. Yeah, and then have it rain down. On yeah, yeah. <laughs> like when he lets up fireworks, and then we have this paper stuff. The wrappings <laughs> fall down on us. We're like, what the hell? It'll be one of those little paper rockets, and then we'll just yeah. launch them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, sorry, Dad. Yeah, sorry, Mr. Fox. <laughs> uh, space burials involve the launching of human remains into space, typically cremated ashes or cremains that are contained inside an urn and released most space burials are suborbital meaning that the when the ashes are released they do not do not remain in orbit because they do not reach high enough it's everything we've been joking about <laughs> yes. and it's going to happen instead they rain back down on earth miles from where they were launched and carried by gravity in the wind a u.s company called Celestis provides for launch options with prices ranging from oh wow 2500 bucks to 12500 bucks so your brother can get the cheap option after all <laughs> yes he will yeah uh the first space burial occurred in 1992 when the nasa space shuttle columbia carried a portion of star trek creator gene roddenberry's cremated remains other notable figures who have had their uh, ashes launched into space include timothy leary and uh, rocket scientist Kraft Ererecki. Oh, there you go. Uh, meanwhile, geologist Eugene Merle Shoemaker had some of his ashes carried to the moon with the Lunar Prospector mission in 1998. Well, we'll have to find out where Mr. Fox wants to go. I know. Yeah. And finally, burial at sea. I don't know that, that uh, that's not an option for me. I know that right now. Right. A burial at sea is the process in which human remains are committed to the sea as a final resting place. I think we've all known about that. Although it's traditionally reserved for members of the Royal Navy, 
anyone may be buried at sea with the right permissions. According to Co-op Funeral Care, a license has to be obtained from Maritime Management Organization by presenting a death certificate, a doctor's certificate to show how the deceased was free from infection, and the coroner's permission for the body to be taken from the UK. So it has to be a British funeral. What's more, the person who has died must not be embalmed and must be wearing biodegradable clothing, such as cotton or wool. Boy, there's conditions behind this deal. Uh, There are three designated locations around the English coast coast where burials at sea can take place using an MMO license in New Haven, East Sussex, and the Needles Spoil Ground near the Isle of Wight and Tynemouth, Tyne and Ware. Compared with other body disposal methods, burial at sea is relatively cheap. An MMO license for sea burial is one of those locations, and one of those locations is just 50 pounds, although there will be additional costs from the boat charter company. Uh, there's some other traditional uh, ways, too, but we won't go into that uh, due to time. Our final story, Mally, I've decided yes. to lighten it up a little bit, cleanse the palate, not have you thinking about ways to go to mm-hmm. spoil your evening. Uh, I'll send you off on a good note here. You ready? Okay, perfect. Here's the, here's the good note I'm going to send you off on. Doctors are flabbergasted after finding an octopus in a patient's throat. <laughs> oh, I know we all eat different things during the day. Maybe you just throw something down your gullet because you're hungry. Mm-hmm. Right? This patient, um, and by the way, what's worse than a frog in your throat, uh, how about an entire octopus? I know that was horrible. Uh, doctors were flabbergasted after discovering that a Singapore man's throat discomfort was caused by an eight-legged mollusk that had become stuck in his gullet. Ugh. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The unnamed patient had reportedly first realized something was awry after he started vomiting following a meal that included the cephalopod. Are you a big fan of octopus? No. No? no? Okay. Yeah, I don't do calamari. I don't do any of that stuff. Yeah. The unnamed patient had reportedly first realized something. I just read that. Let's uh, Let's do that again. Take two. Uh, the diner also had trouble swallowing, prompting him to pay a visit to the Tan Tok Seng Hospital. Look it up in your medical dec- or directory. Um, I'm sure it's covered under your insurance. Doctors conducted a CT scan, which revealed a super dense mass in the man's esophagus. I have to think that it's really Ugh. difficult to breathe or swallow with an right. octopus in your esophagus. I'm going to try to try to pronounce this um, examination. Okay. But there's about 14 syllables in it. You ready? Uh huh. A subsequent esophagastroduodenoscopy. Okay. I think I nailed it. I think I nailed it. Esophagastroduodenoscopy. A gastrointestinal examination involving a small flexible tube showed a tentacled octopus lodged two inches from the esophagus stomach border, like something out of Ridley Scott's Alien. Oh, my God. Was it alive when he ate it? It had. Because it's like suction to his wall, like wall of his esophagus, like, I'm not going down. It had to be. After initial attempts to push or extract the interloper were unsuccessful, medics navigated the endoscope, passed the octopus into the stomach, and retroflexed it. 
<gasps> oh. Then they f used forceps to grasp the critter's head and remove it from the patient. Thankfully, the patient recovered well following surgery. It was discharged after two days, but it still took two days. Ew. Apparently, food obstructions are among the most common problems encountered at the hospital per the facility's physicians who say items will pass spontaneously in 80 to 90% of cases. Meanwhile, endoscopic intervention is necessary in 10 to 20% of cases, while 1% of them require surgery. The push technique is the primary method recommended with high success rates. However, applying excessive force can cause esophageal perforation, said the medical team. Unfortunately, this is far from the first time a cephalopod has gone down the wrong pipe. Ew. Yeah. In 2016, a two-year-old boy in Wichita, Kansas, had to be hospitalized after getting an octopus lodged in his throat during an apparent sushi session gone wrong. Why are two-year-olds eating sushi? Exactly. I don't get it. Meanwhile, approximately six people a year die from eating sanakji, which is the live octopus dish that's a delicacy in South Korea. <gasps> Ew. It's a live octopus smell. Gross. Let me show you the enemy. No, we don't need to see it. This is the enemy. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Are you done? Yeah, <laughs> close my eyes after. Oh, God, I just opened Did them up. Did you see it? Did you see it? Stop it! God! <laughs> He's such a dick. <laughs> That's just awful. Isn't that horrible? God. I got a better. I got a better shot. Don't. You don't want to see it. No. <laughs> oh, but this is. This I is a better shot. I don't want to see it. This is a better shot, Mel. Stop. I mean, look. Oh my God, if anyone like tunes in and not know what we're talking about, <laughs> where I'm telling you, I don't want to see it. And you're telling me it's a better shot. <laughs> I hear that a lot from women, but. <laughs> but it's 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 disgusting. Yes, it is. But it's actually bigger. Back on, up at you. It's bigger on camera than it is in person. <laughs> that's what they all say. <laughs> Anywho, so that's supernatural news and pressure for today. Been scarred. <laughs> that's also what women say. Ah, <laughs> uh, what a way to end it today. Tomorrow on the big show, uh, it is the Legion of Exorcists. We'll be, uh, we'll be doing a season wrap-up with three of the cast members. Scott Johnson, we have Reverend Rita, and um, <laughs> I, I do this. I did this yesterday, didn't I? Hold on a second here. And Sean, Reverend Sean, Sean Whittington. So we've got Scott Johnson, Reverend Rita, Reverend Sean Whittington tomorrow on the show. We'll be recapping season one. We'll be talking about, you know what? I'm going to bring up this article that we talked about today about uh, some of the Ouija board fascination in South America mm -hmm. and over in Asia. And we'll, we'll talk about, is the world actually seeing more demonic forces? And is it of our own doing or is it an actual uprising of, of demonic forces uh, that's just happening on its own? We'll talk about different, you know, the, the spiritual health of, of the world as it is right now. You need to tell me if anything strange happens after your interview, because sometimes I feel like when you have these kinds of interviews, mm -hmm. weird things happen afterwards. 
it's like you've acknowledged this topic and then things happen. There are some strange things that happen as, as I do these interviews. Um, I've had weird mechanical things happen as we're doing these interviews. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. um, Things happen here at the house when I do these interviews. So, yeah. So let me know if something strange happens afterwards. I will. I will. Um, Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people that like to kind of poo poo the whole demonic thing and oh, there's no such thing as a demonic blah, 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 blah. They've never sat in on one of these tapings. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's kind of different. It's different when these things go down. Um, When you, when you assemble, uh, people who deal with the demonic on a regular basis and then you sit down to talk about what they do for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be amazed how that message it tries to be messed with or that they don't want that message to get out. So, But we're going to try and get it out uh, on tomorrow's show. So that's the Legion of Exorcists tomorrow. Uh, Reverend Sean Whittington, Reverend Scott Johnson, and Reverend Rita. We'll get them or Bishop Rita, I'm sorry, not Reverend Rita. She used to be Reverend, she's now a bishop. Um, so we'll have them all tomorrow together on the show, and we'll talk about season one of the Legion of Exorcists, we'll talk about the spiritual health of today's world, and we'll talk about whether there's truly an uprising. And I'm going to ask him, you know, it's said that we don't know when the end of the world will be, but do we have a good indicator right now? I mean, mm. are we truly in the end times? We'll talk about it tomorrow. Once again, ending on a low note. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mel. You know, it's just, I'm, ex- I'm excited for the show. You know, Eli. Yeah, the show sounds great, but when you're talking about, is it the end of time? Thank you. Now something else for me to think about tonight <laughs> as I lay in bed. But, you know, Eli Roth was given, he was given a lot of cash by, by Warner Brothers Discovery to make this show. Mm-hmm. And when a big-time filmmaker, a big-time Hollywood guy like Eli Roth comes along and says, let's put all these guys in one room and talk about their experiences. Besides money, there's a reason he's doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a belief behind it. So uh, we're going to talk about that tomorrow as well. So it's going to be an interesting show. Interesting show. I know that. So. <laughs> What you got going on, Mel, besides, uh, besides uh, you know, being a Michigander and pointing at your hand to show people where you live? <laughs> We've got the street fair happening this week. Oh, do you? Tell me yeah, about that. Yeah, I'm going to go get some corn dogs. Mm. Freaking love those. I do, too. I'm a big fan. Big fan of mm-hmm. corn dogs, prano pups. Here in Minnesota, we have prano pups. They don't know Yes, I that. love prano pups, too, though, because those are flour, correct? And then the corn dogs is cornmeal. Right. It's rice flour for yeah. prano pups. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Delicious. Yep. So yeah, I'm gonna go get my eats on. Oh, good. 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 Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. 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 Some pierogies. State, state mm-hmm. fair time is in August too. I know. I wish I was gonna be back for that. I miss the state fair. Yeah. You're not gonna not gonna try and shoot over for it. Um. No. Not for the state fair. I can't with the kids and stuff and school starting. Yeah. 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 Because we don't start school after Labor Day like you do in Minnesota. Oh, that's true. Well, you know, I could take corn dogs and prano pups and put them in a big FedEx package and send them to you. <laughs> I don't know how good they'll be by the time they get to you. Yeah, <laughs> I'll pass. Thank you. I'll just hit up the street fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a better plan. Yeah, I don't need any food poisoning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, better plan to do it that way. Yeah, because a Scotch egg in a in a in a FedEx box oh, is not. That does not sound good. No, not at all. 
Uh, <laughs> but paranormalgirl.com is where people should check you out, right? Yes, yes. And I did put up that uh, recipe for the fudge. So <gasps> it is up there. Oh, my God. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. I got that posted. N- so, yep. Nutella fudge is up mm-hmm. now at paranormalgirl.com. Of course, Mally will be at uh, Michigan Paracon this year. Uh, mm-hmm. On yesterday's show, I put up a link for uh, not only paranormalgirl.com, but also tickets for Michigan Paracon. Uh, there'll be those links on today's show. So by all means, uh, get your tickets for Michigan Paracon. They're going fast. Um, get them right now and uh, go check out Mally and her booth. You always have the best booths. Thanks. Like the booth at uh, Michigan Paracon. <laughs> So uh, go see Mally at Michigan Paracon. And if you'd like to see me at Michigan Paracon, go bother Brad Blair and Tim Ellis. Because <laughs> I guarantee you, I will have the present. If they, if they take me on, I will have the presentation of the weekend. And there's a lot of good ones. Mm-hmm. But I got one lined up that will honestly blow your minds. Yeah, yours sounds very interesting. I'm telling you. But you just got to get me on board. That's all. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm not trying, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Put them over the top, folks. Contact Brad Blair and uh, Tim Ellis, the uh, organizers of Michigan Paracon. That's all I'm saying. But that'll do it for today. Tomorrow, the Legion of Exorcists right here on Darkness Radio. I want to thank you guys so much for continuing to listen to us here on this show, continuing to support us. Again, support Mint Mobile. They're brand new to the program. $15 a month for unlimited talk, text, and internet and and, and data streaming. Um, Again, mintmobile.com slash darkness. Check it out right now, $15 a month. That's not a misprint that you're not hearing that wrong. $15 a month. It's the same great 5G data that you've got right now on your phone. Same speed, same everything. $15 a month. Why are you overpaying? Go check it out right now, mintmobile.com slash darkness. We'll see you tomorrow. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you for listening to the best in paranormal podcasting. This is Darkness Radio.